Welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly Sunday Morning Messages. Today, Wade Matthew continues our series in Hebrews, sharing from Hebrews chapter 13, verses 7 through 17. And now, here's Wade. Every Sunday, Dave and Becky and I do Shillington, and we have two clocks there as well, and the clock that the speaker sees is five minutes fast and the clock that the people in the queue see is five minutes slow and there's reasons for that as you can well imagine thank you and welcome to all of you today we have wonderful topic that i hope i can make somewhat simple for you As the first slide says the marvelous fact that christ lives in us has everything to do with how we should live our Christian life. And I can only think of one word, and that word is grace. We're coming to the end of the book of Hebrews. Um, Ted is going to close it off for us next week. But I want to focus on three points that I think the book of Hebrews speaks for us. One is that the God we serve is above and beyond all other entities. He is omnipotent. Secondly, in order to please our God, we must have faith in him and him alone. And thirdly, as chapter 13 summarizes, how can we apply these factors to our lives? We must be obedient and trusting to him and only him and to those who have gone before us, to those who lead us and mentor us now in these same concepts. The marvelous fact that Christ lives in us has everything to do with how we should live our Christian life. So our section today is Hebrews 13, 7 to 17. And I just want to read through those very, very quickly and we'll get started. So remember, this is the New Living Testament too, by the way. Remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives and follow the examples of their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So do not be attracted by strange new ideas. Your strength comes from God's grace, not from the rules about food, which don't help those who follow them. We have an altar from which the priests in the tabernacle have no right to eat. Under the old system, the high priest brought the blood of animals into the holy place as a sacrifice for sin, and the bodies of the animals were burnt outside the camp. So also Jesus suffered and died outside the city gates to make his people holy by means of his own blood. So let us go out to him outside the camp and bear the disgrace he bore. For this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. Therefore, let us offer through Christ Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. And don't forget to do good and share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not sorrow. That would certainly not be to your benefit. And as I look around, I see almost as many elders as there are others. So uh, hopefully you're not going to judge me too harsh on this. As we begin on the next slide, you'll notice that there are an awful lot of 
chapters and verses. And I did this on purpose, and I hope you take the time later on to just reflect upon them. But keep in mind that the people to whom Hebrews was written were believers of Jesus Christ. But they were going through times of uncertainty, fear, and in many ways were questioning their faith and even their salvation. You know, Phil spoke last week about the kingdom that could not be shaken. But at this particular time, the people that this book was addressed to were indeed suffering through that issue. They were being shaken. They were not certain of where they where they came from, where they were, who they followed, what they believed in. Because there were so many uncertainties, so many pressures in their lives. Hebrews was not meant to remove these concerns, but it was to strengthen their resolve. And isn't that always the way? Christ tells us that there will be tribulation, but in the end there will be joy because we will be with him and we will be victorious. And that's wonderful. It would be very easy for us in this day and age to put ourselves in their footsteps because we have similar issues in our own minds. So the first principle laid before us is that the God we serve is above and beyond all other entities. He is omnipotent. I want you to just look at a few of these verses. I'm not going to go through each and every one of them. But I just want to highlight a few so you get an idea of what I'm talking about here. In chapter 1, verses 1 to 4 of Hebrews, it says that God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to our fathers by the prophets and has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had said by himself, when he had by himself purged our sins, he himself, nothing that you have done or will do, caused this to happen. This happened before you were here and it happened through his plan, not through your plan. Chapter 2, 9 and 17. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, and he might be merciful and faithful high priest in all things pertaining to God. Once again, you had nothing to do with this. God did this. God did this on his own. And God did this because he could do this. He's omnipotent. He has the power. He has the ability. And he had the foresight to know that this is what was needed. Chapter 3 and 6 says, But Christ is a son over his own house, whose house we are in, hold fast to the confidence and rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation. Chapter 7.24 says, He continues forever. He has an unchangeable priesthood. Who here has not changed something in the past week? In the past day? Maybe in the past hour? God is unchangeable. And that's because He's perfect. There's nothing He needs to change. There will never be a new improved Jesus Christ. You've got Him. He's what He's going to be next week and the week after. And what he was in this particular time. Because he's perfect. He is God. There is no other God. 
that can command that type of respect. I want you to note the legacy of power, the growing story, chapter after chapter of an evolving plan for mankind that can only be brought forth, can only be brought to fruition by an omnipotent God and by His grace. So that's the first one. So as we go to the next slide, we see that we go to the second point. In order to please our God, we must have faith in Him and Him alone. And I have a bunch of verses here as well. And I'm going quickly through these because I'm hoping that this is more of a review than anything else. And I want to focus a little bit more on on the other verses. But we must have faith in Christ and Christ alone. We can't be distracted by other religions in this world. We can't be distracted by what the world provides for us, the riches, the power, the ego, the pride. We can't be distracted by that. We have to follow what Christ says. Because those are the things that please God. Jesus himself knew that. And Jesus himself focused only on his Father. Not on things of this world. If he focused on things of this world, it was only to correct them and to edify them. Again, looking at the pattern that we have up here on these verses, chapter 1, verse 12 says, Like a cloak, you will fold them up and they will be changed. But you are the same and your years will not fall. He is the same. He will never change. So often what happens in our lives is due to the circumstances at the time. Do you think that God's actions changed as circumstances changed? He knew what was coming. He had a plan. It was, pardon me, it was His will that these things happened. Chapter 2.17 says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. Therefore, in all things, he has been made like his brethren, that he might be merciful and faithful high priest in all things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Why did he do that? Because it pleased the Father. And that's the focus of Jesus Christ on this earth. To please the Father. Chapter 3, verse 2 says, Jesus Christ who was faithful to Him who appointed Him, as Moses also was faithful in all of His house. We are warned in chapter 3, verse 12, Beware, brethren, lest there be any of you, in any of you, an evil heart of unbelief departing from the living God. So the focus has to be on Christ. It can be on nothing else. And once again, probably the highlight verse of pleasing God is chapter 11, verse 6. But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is the rewarder of all who diligently seek Him. I encourage you again to go through these verses and see the legacy, the the power, the plan that God had and has and will have for each and every one of us. So as we go to the next slide, we get to the third point. And that's where we're at today. Phil talked last week about a kingdom that will not be shaken. And that kingdom will not be shaken... Not because of what you do, 
but because of His grace, because of His love for each and every one of you. He is omnipotent. He could simply turn His head and walk away. But He chooses not to do that. It was so important to Him, in fact, that He sent His only begotten Son to become like His brethren. And yet different. We are imperfect. He is perfect. He came as an example for us. So now the topic today is then how should we live? And I want to just add to please God. Because that's what our focus should be. It says, remember those who rule over you. Who have spoken the word of God to you. Whose faith follow considering the outcome of their conduct. So the instructions and examples of ministers who honorably and faithfully close their ministry should be remembered by us who survive. And that applies to all the people in Hebrews, and I'm thinking especially of chapter 10 and 11 and 12, where it talked about by faith Moses, by faith Enoch, by faith Abel, you know, whatever it happens to be. Those were leaders in the day. They were setting the example. They were worried about other people as well. They were the leaders of the day. It was important. So leaders, to me, included those people, elders of the church, but even mentors. In my particular case, there was somebody that brought me to the Lord. I consider that individual my mentor. He continues to this very day to correct me when I get off the path, which is pretty regular. He continues to lift me up when I'm down. He continues to try and edify me in the Word of God. He continues to point me this way, that way, not outward to the people of this world. And that's important. It applies not only in Hebrews' time, but it applies today. And it's going to apply tomorrow. And if you think that you're sitting there saying, I'm a follower of Christ but I'm not a leader. I'm not a mentor. I don't fall into this category. Perhaps the way the verses are, it appears that you don't. But indeed you do. Because you say you follow Christ, the second thing should be that you automatically lead. You lead. You don't have to say it. You can lead by example. Lead by your actions. Lead by what you don't do. So when most of the crowd goes that way, seeking power, seeking uh, inequality for yourself over someone else, seeking great wealth, and you say, hold it, that's not what Jesus wants me to do, I can't do that. That's leading. It seems so simple, but yet it's so difficult. The word remember signifies to me more than just being able to recall individuals. It means constantly considering both the person and their attributes with a focus on trying to emulate their walk in faith as leaders and mentors of those who seek to please God. It means considering their standing before Christ as an example. And certainly we do that with all of our leaders. We try to do that anyway. The other thing that we need to remember is that leaders do not need to be perfect. But they do need to be able to show that their life has been impacted by the power of Christ and continues to be impacted. And that you work, you strive to be better, you strive to be more perfect, more like Jesus, made in His image. 
And that's important. That demonstrates in itself a faith that people can actually follow. And because it is truth and obedience to God, it will please him. You know, Paul said to Timothy something along the same lines, and I didn't want to go out of Hebrews, but this verse just just hits me as exactly what we're talking about. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. And that's important. Because a lot of the times you do things and you think nobody's noticing. But you don't know that. You don't know that for sure. We're even told in Hebrews to be alert because we could even be in the presence of angels. You don't know that. And this is important. Something we want to follow. Just as much as a church needs godly leaders, it also needs godly followers. And each and every one of you, even if you are a leader, you are also a follower. And even if you are just a follower, you are also a leader. And I want you to remember that. That's very, very important and very fundamental to what's what's in front of us here. A real leader of the church preaches Christ and thereby brings men to him. And I was reading a little story the other day, and I, I, I got to be honest, I don't remember who they were speaking about, but it was about a, a schoolboy who decided that he wanted to enter the ministry of Christ. And he was asked when he had come to this decision, and he had said that he had made it after a certain sermon at his local chapel. He was asked the name of the preacher, and his answer was that he had no clue. All he knew was that he had been shown to Jesus. And isn't that what it's all about? It doesn't matter that you bring him to Christ. It's that he was brought to Christ. The duty of a real preacher is to obliterate himself and to show others nothing more than Christ. The concept of leadership sometimes we make so difficult. And yet in many ways it's so simple. It's not so much to talk about Jesus, but it's to act like Jesus. It's what we do, even more so than what we say. Because a lot of us are good with words. A lot of us are are just full of it. We can speak for hours and hours and days and days. And the minute we walk out this door, we do something totally contrary to what we just said. And that just cuts you to the quick. So your actions, in many ways, speak louder than those words. Why do we look back in history? Why do we look at these people and say, it's important? We're always told to reflect on history so that it doesn't repeat itself. A real leader leaves to those who come two things, an example and an inspiration. Quintilian, the Roman master of oratory, said, It is a good thing to know and always to keep turning over in your mind the things which were illustriously done of old. And that's absolutely right. Epicurus advised his disciples continuously to remember those of the old time who lived with virtue so that you also could live with virtue. 
There's one more thing, or one thing, pardon me, more than any other in the world that the church needs in every generation. And it is leadership, like we speak of. And it is leadership through Jesus Christ and His example that is important. So that, so we went through 7 and 17, which seems a little bit strange that I would take the first verse and the last verse, but they both talk about leading, watching out for one another, and the importance of that type of concept. You know, after verse 7, the next verse is very short and simple. It says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Why insert that there? Don't they know that? Obviously, don't. Obviously, they do not know that. Or it wouldn't have had to be inserted there. But throughout this whole book, the writer has been trying to put forward that Jesus is omnipotent, that your God is omnipotent, unchanging, powerful, above and beyond anything else. And as I said before, there will never be a new revised second edition A Jesus 2.0. There will never be. And there never has to be. Because it is permanent. It is fixed forever. You know, all of these other people we talk about, Noah and Abel and Enoch and all of those folk, Moses, they were dead. Others were dying in the time of Hebrews. But the people that were going through these struggles, for whatever reason, didn't take to heart the fact that the most important minister in their life, the high priest in their life, was still alive, would never die. They didn't get that. They missed that. Christ is the same as he was in the Old Testament days. He was the same in the day that they put him on the cross. And he's the same today and he'd be the same tomorrow. He's still here for us. He's still issuing grace to all who want to accept it. To this day, he rejects the proud and the self-righteous. He abhors the mere profession of faith through talk. He teaches all whom he saves to love righteousness and to hate iniquity. It's all because of the free grace that is offered to us through the Holy Spirit. That great helper that Jesus said would come when he was taken up from this world. So when we talk about the Old Testament and the New Testament, which is often very confusing, there's an issue of the altar. And we talk about in the next few verses about don't get carried away with other things, with what people tell you. And we usually think of other religions. But I couldn't help when I read this, because if you look at number 10, it says we have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat, etc., etc., etc. So first of all, we're talking about doctrines, but now we're talking about an altar. Well, isn't the altar part of our history? part of our religion, our Christianity? Wasn't it the first that was put aside for the second? Yes. But it also is just an image. It's a temporary thing. 
We have an altar today. That altar is the cross of Jesus. And that altar is never going to change. In the old days, you could go into the Holy of Holies. Only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies. Pardon me. You couldn't get past that first curtain. You brought in a sacrifice of the best of whatever that animal had. The rest of it was thrown out. It was rejected. And it was thrown out outside of the city, outside of the camp. And keep in mind that the people that persecuted Christ over time, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Roman Empire, all all the governing people, they were sort of in that inner circle. They were okay with sacrifices that came once a month, once a year, whatever it happened to be. But the people weren't. The people were kept separate from God. They really didn't have a connection with God, only through their leaders. And their leaders did things the way they wanted to do them, not the way that God wanted to do them. The writer, to me, moves in this book in a strange way, and I think it's a very important way too. He doesn't focus on any of the other people before him. He mentions them. He mentions Moses and Noah and people like that. But the focus is on Jesus Christ. And that's because Jesus Christ is still with us. All of those other leaders are gone. Who has the ear of God? Jesus Christ. Who has the ability to go directly to God with all of his concerns, all of his hurts, all of his praises, all of his love, all of his anger? Jesus Christ. So when Jesus Christ sacrificed his body on the cross and gave you the opportunity to come to know him, what did he do? He gave you the right to come directly to God. So there's not one of us sitting here right now that can't go to God directly in prayer. You can be angry with him. You can laugh at him. You can laugh with him. You can bring whatever concerns you have to him right now directly. You could not do that in the Old Testament times. So there wasn't that one-on-one relationship that we have now. And why is that? It's all because of the high priest that God put in place for us. And that's all an image of God's grace. God doesn't change throughout the ages. Nor does Jesus. But we do. And it's my hope that we, as believers, we who have professed to follow God, that we change in a way that is for the better. That we change in a way that this book shows us how to change. To apply the principles that are here to focus on God and God alone and to want only to please God. If we do those two things, we can't fail. We can't fail. Because it's right before us here. In the next slide, we see that we talk about this business of being outside the gate or outside the camp. And I just want to talk a little bit about that. I know we're running short on time, but um, it's an important concept to me. You know, when we were born, 
We were born outside the camp. We were born outside the gate. Because we were all sinners. Okay? So to me, that says we were out there. We were separated from entering into the presence of God. We couldn't go through His gates. We couldn't be as one with Him. We talk now about, boy, someday we're going to be sitting at the feet of God, praising Him, worshiping Him. You couldn't do that when you were born. Until you came to know Him, you couldn't do that. Jesus' purpose was never to worry about the sheep inside the pen. He was worried about the sheep outside the pen. So the 99 that were inside, He was okay with them being there and leaving them and going to seek that one that was lost. That one that had rejected Him. Outside the city or the gates is where the remains of the unworthy of the sacrifice are found. Think about who was inside the gate inside the camp, so to speak, in those days of Jesus. All of the people of the Roman Empire who were in power, the generals and all those folks, all of those people who were tax collectors, taking money, and in many cases more money than they should, the Pharisees and the Sadducees who were trying to protect their own interest in the world, they were inside the camp. Who was outside the camp? All the people that Jesus in his three short years of ministry focused on. The blind, the paralyzed, the invalids, the widowers, those who needed help. They're all outside the gate. And as I said before, you were outside the gate at one time. He came out to see you. And you accepted him. It's funny that those are the folks that Jesus wants to bring back to his Father are the people that are outside the gate. And in doing so, Jesus pleases his Father. If you want to please God, you need to do the same thing. You need to follow his example. Take the reproach that the world is going to give you and get outside of the gate. Get outside of the fence. Jesus himself was crucified outside of the city at Golgotha. They didn't do it in the center of the marketplace where everybody could see him. He was done on the outside of the city. I would suggest to you that a lot of people uh, that were in power in those days never bothered to go to see him nailed to the cross. Because what was he? He was a reject. He said he was the king of kings, the king of the Jews. Why would I go and see him nailed to the cross? We nail people cross every day. Why would I worry? But the people that needed him, the weak, the helpless, they followed. They watched what was happening, not knowing really what it was, but they followed it. You know, it's our privilege to follow Jesus and work outside the gate, to be treated as dirt sometimes, despised that's the way it should be and why should it be that way for we have no continuing city but we seek the one to come we are temporary here just like Jesus has been called up and is now sitting beside his father we know that that's where we're going someday we don't know when but we know we're going there someday So really, this is just a temporary stop. This is a bus stop in our long, long trip home. This is it. 
But we're going to a mansion that he's preparing that is beyond all expectation. So our focus is not on the city here. Our focus is on the city above. Very often, it becomes a stopgap measure for us. And that's unfortunate. I'm going to close here by just uh, reading a couple of other things here. This is a quote from Charles Spurgeon. If you can do well with the wicked, if you can live as they live, with the ungodly, if their practices are your practices, if their pleasures are your pleasures, then their God is your God, and you are one of them. There is no being a Christian without being shut out of the world's camp. And if you can't say, yep, that's me, uh, I would ask you to move your seat and get into another one because you're in the wrong spot. You know, the application of all of this is that in bearing his reproach, we face great difficulty and suffering. Some of us more so than others. I think you would all agree that we here in Canada don't suffer very much compared to other missionaries around the world. But we could, we should, we might. But the fact that we are able to bear that reproach for him says that we will be pleasing to God. The good news is that for those who bear his reproach, this world is the worst that it's ever going to get for us. For cowards who turn their back on Jesus, this life is the absolute best they are going to have. Focus on that. So as we go to our last slide, we see that the marvelous fact that Christ lives in us has everything to do with how we should live our lives in Christ Jesus through His grace, through His power. Let's just close in prayer. Holy Spirit, we thank You for opening our hearts and minds, for continually being here as Jesus said You would. He called You the Great Helper. And indeed, Lord, we need Your help. We acknowledge that we are failures. But we also acknowledge, Lord, that we can change because you give us the power to change. Lord, we simply want to follow what is here in the book of Hebrews. To acknowledge that God, including you, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus Christ, the Son, are omnipotent, all-powerful, all-knowing, and the only true living God that this world has ever and will ever see. And we ask, Lord, that we continue to be strengthened and directed in a way that will allow us to please you in all that we do. That the focus of our life will be on Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone as our high priest, as the leader and head of our church, as the body of Christ's head. May we be the rest of the body, Lord, and something that he is pleasing towards, Lord. Lord, we also ask that we would apply through your power and your direction the word of God as you have done here today. Lord, in all that we do, may it be strictly for your honor and your glory. And we pray these things in your son's precious name. Amen.
Thank you, folks. Thank you for listening. Come back next week for the next Sunday morning message from Bible Fellowship Assembly. Visit us on the web at bfa.church where you will find our physical address and contact information. We'd love to see you if you're in the Timmins area or drop us a line at info at bfa.church. Until next time.